so when Sandy and I uh, first got married, and uh, we had what we called the five-year plan, and I wonder if anybody else had something like that. The five-year plan simply meant, we called it that because the plan was, and we were going to be married for five years, so we'd have time to be together, we would have time to get everything in place, time to get our finances in order, and then we were going to have kids. So five years and then kids. Anybody else have a plan like that? Maybe not five year, three year, two year, one year, whatever, you know, uh, plan. Uh, I secretly called it the 5-5 five, five plan because my plan was in five years we're going to start having children and then we'd have five children. And, uh, and I didn't really tell Sandy that. And, and truth be told, you know, I was shooting for seven, so we'd have a basketball team and two subs. Um, and uh, so, and you may not believe this, I, I really wanted the 513 plan because I was thinking football team and two subs. And I know some of you are thinking, there is no way any guy is stupid enough to think like that. 22 years old, man, I'm telling you what, I just didn't think Sandy would go for it. So kind of what I was shooting for was, you know, have seven kids. She would enjoy them so much she would want six more. Uh, and, and looking back, just so you know, looking back now, I, I see some holes in that plan that I didn't, you know, initially see at, at 22. So in the five-year plan, everything we did was geared toward being ready for children. Uh, knowing that if possible, uh, we wanted Sandy to stay home with the kids. Now, that was our decision. That's not everyone's decision, but that's what we kind of wanted to do. Uh, And so every decision that we made, from paying off the school bills, uh, school loans early, to credit card debt decisions we made about that, to the car that we drove, to the house that we bought, because when we went looking for a house in year two, uh, the realtor told us you can have this much house, and we, we knew ahead of time we're going down to one salary if possible, so we could only have this much. I mean, we, everything, all was subordinate to the five-year plan. Every decision we made, every plan that we put in play, we spent time thinking about the baby room, the furniture, the cut, you know, all of those things. We thought about all of those things. And you look at us now, and those of you who know our family would say, well, your plan must have worked right? Because uh, you have two great kids, not five, not seven, not 13. You have two great kids, which is true, by the way, and they've grown up to be great adults, which is true, by the way. But I want you to know, uh, on this side of the story, you wouldn't know this, but I didn't go quite according to plan. Because the time came to put the five-year plan into motion, which, gentlemen, just so you know, is all about. And, uh, And each month, we were sure that what we had planned for was about to happen. We, each month we knew that the results of such good planning and praying and decisions, it was just about to come true. But what was true for us, like 6.1 million other couples in our country, is that it didn't happen for a year. And so we went back to our doctor and he recommended, she recommended an infertility specialist. So we went to see infertility specialists and with the dream team now on the case, we knew Hope was reborn. So every month, what we had so carefully planned our whole lives around, everything, and every month, what seemed so easy for other couples uh, seemed more and more impossible for us and more and more out of reach for another year. Now, during that year, my twin brother and his wife had a son. Uh, I was in youth ministry, and during that time, one of the girls in our youth group gave birth to a child. So listen, I, I, was, I was a youth minister. My whole life 
was about kids. Uh, and if you know Sandy at all, she was made to be a mom. I mean, she's so great at that. I was wondering why God didn't see that. What was up with him anyway? Was he blind? Was he deaf? Doesn't he care? Does he, I mean, is he even there? Is he paying attention to what's going on? And many people assume uh, that once you follow Jesus for a long time, especially if you're a pastor, somehow you are exempt from thinking dark thoughts about him. And I want you to know, unfortunately, we are not. Uh, even seasoned believers ask the question. Everyone. If you're sitting here and you've asked the question, you just need to know the people around you have asked it as well. So if this is your first time with us, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC, and uh, really glad that you're here, especially if this is your first time with us. We have a gift for you at the back table, and if you are watching this online, uh, I'm really glad that you've joined us there and you're checking us out, and I hope that you will join us in the big room here soon. But we're in this series about the family, and last or two weeks ago, we started by talking about, about the fact that in every family, just so you know, there is no such thing as a perfect family. Yours isn't, ours isn't, yours growing up wasn't, yours right now isn't going to be. Uh, so that's just the case. Here's the second thing we talked about. So last week we talked about this. All families have conflict, right? Your family, just so you know, if this puts you at ease at all, your family was not the only one yelling at each other as you drove into our lot, you know, this morning. Uh, others were, and the question isn't what do you do if you have conflict in your family, it's what do you do when your family has conflict, all right? And if you missed either of those, I want to encourage you to go to our website and, and check those out. But this week, we're talking about uh, what happens when our family experience changes, right? And something that we didn't plan for happens. Or something we were planning for doesn't happen. And if you haven't experienced a challenging change in your family dynamic, let me let you know, you are going to. And uh, for those of us, right, for those who are new parents, that's one example of a good change that still becomes challenging uh, at times. And we all deal with times of transition, and reality is we all deal differently with it. And life is not a straight line. The bumps can be discouraging. The bu bumps can be disorienting. The bumps can be confusing and frustrating and sad, especially, especially when it happens to our family. So when it comes to our families, sometimes when things begin to happen, we forget who we are. Or we forget, because this, this thing is happening, we forget where we used to find our joy. You know, what's interesting to me is some people ride these kind of waves and seem to do just fine with them. But for most of us, these things are really tricky. Again, even changes that aren't necessarily bad changes, they can still be difficult to navigate. So on your notes, I wanted to make sure that you got this. Uh, change can be scary, but it is inevitable. So just so we know, it's going to happen, and there will be times in your life where it's just kind of a scary thing. So the same is true for a man we're going to look, read about here in the Bible. His name is King David. Uh, David is given credit for a lot of the poems, a lot of the songs that we read about in a book called Psalms. It's in the Old Testament. And if you remember the Sunday school, if you're trying to remember who King David is, if you remember the story about the boy who took on the giant in the Bible, it's that 
It's that David. So David becomes a king of Israel, but he comes from humble beginnings. He goes from shepherd in the field to king of a country, which is kind of a big change. Uh, and uh, the problem was when God chose David to be the next king, there was already a king on the throne. And he was not looking to retire at any time soon. Uh, and so uh, the Bible reading plan that I follow uh, in my daily time with God, uh, it's on the Bible app, by the way. If you have not downloaded this onto your phone, I just want to encourage you uh, to do that. And uh, so when I'm reading that, I read this story just a couple of weeks ago about Saul uh, trying to kill David. Saul is the king. David is the going to be king. And Saul is trying to kill the competition. Several times he does that. Uh, and David, listen, David didn't know who he could trust. He's running for his life, didn't know who he could trust. And uh, just so you know, our families and our lives can be just like these stories in Scripture. Not always predictable, Right. Not, not always going according to plan. And so David wrote something that maybe you're familiar with, and why don't, we, uh, why don't we read this out loud together, okay? The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. <laughs> my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this is one of those passages uh, that many people will memorize. I memorized it in the King James. So when I'm reading it out of another version, I have to pay real close attention because I'm liable to slip back into the old English. Uh, when our team was in Haiti uh, last month, we were asked to go pray with families in the community. And so we would go into the homes of these families and we would find out what they had asked to be prayed for. We would pray with them. And this is something we would all say together. Uh, and, and it seemed like we were all saying it in the King James Version as well. So to summarize this psalm, let me say this. To summarize, summarize this psalm, we do not have to be afraid because no matter what situation we are faced with and no matter what changes we experience, God is always with us, all right? Or on your notes, it says it this way. When my family changes, God remains my center, because sometimes change is disorienting, and we have to be able to come back to know what is the center of our life. We have to come back to hold on or, or to find direction so we know which way we're heading, so we head back to center. So when David writes, he says things like rest and quiet waters and restores my soul and guides me, all good. And then verse 4 takes a sharp right turn. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. King James Version that I memorized growing up, you know what it says? Valley of the shadow of death. The Hebrew literally reads the valley of deep darkness. By the way, in Israel, there really is a valley of deep darkness. It's this steep uh, and this very deep, narrow canyon. 
and the sun only hits the bottom floor of this canyon when it is directly overhead. That's how narrow and deep that it is. Only when it's overhead. The rest of the time, it's covered in shadows. The bottom is dark. And I wonder if David didn't lead his sheep through this valley of, of deep darkness when he was growing up. And when he was walking his sheep, leading his sheep through this, as he walked through it, I wonder if he ever said, that, just said that you ever say things out loud when you're a little bit afraid? You know, I wonder if he said to himself, even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I won't be afraid because God, I know you're with me. Look at this quote on your notes. God often comforts us not by changing the circumstances of our lives, but changing our attitude toward them. How does he do that? How does he change our attitude uh, about changes in our families, especially, especially the ones that seem like dark valleys in our lives so that we can walk through them uh, with some sort of confidence so before we see what the verses tell us about that, uh, there are a couple of truths I want to remind you of about dark valleys. And, and the first one, this is, these are all on your notes. They're on the, the app if you're there. All families face difficult changes. All families face difficult changes. I like what Paul Harvey said. Uh, he said, in times like these, it helps to remember that there have always been times like these, right? All families, valleys happen throughout life. As a matter of fact, you never see a mountaintop without seeing what on the other side. Every mountaintop, there's a, there's a valley on the other side. Have you ever had one of those moments when, when you're afraid and you've said something like, man, it has been going so well for so long, right? You're just waiting. <laughs> What's about to happen? Something bad's headed our way. And Jesus, by the way, spoke to this. He's very realistic about this. He said, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Not you might, not you could, not if you, you know, if you don't do the shuffle, you know, if in this world, you are going to have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You are going to have something difficult happen, probably more than once. You are going to have disappointment, probably more than once. You are going to have discouragement, something that happens in your life, and you become discouraged because of it. There will be times of suffering and sorrow and sickness, times of frustration and failure and fatigue. It is going to happen. It's a normal part of life. It happens to everyone. Good people and bad people. As a matter of fact, again, the Bible is very clear that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen uh, to good people. And I want to make sure you catch this because it's the next thing on your list. Dark valleys don't care who you are. They don't care. They don't care that you read your Bible every day. They don't care that you're in church every day. They don't care that you know the songs. They don't care. They don't care who you are. No one is immune to them. No one is insulated from pain and sorrow. No one goes through life problem-free. Everyone has problems. Jesus speaks to this as well. Look at what he says. Uh, uh, we have recorded in Matthew 5. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless the good and bad, the nice and the nasty. Listen, valleys are impartial to people. They don't care how good or bad that you are. Well, one time when he was receiving a major award, Bob Hope, who I love to listen to, just made me laugh all the time. He received the award and he looked at me and goes, I really don't deserve this. But then again, I have arthritis and I don't deserve that either. Um, <laughs> problems, difficulties, disturbances, downtimes, depression. 
Listen, even good changes, again, good changes that you welcomed, you asked for, you welcomed into your life, you prayed to God that you would have this change in your life, even though sometimes they're still difficult, which doesn't mean, by the way, that you're a bad person. What it means is that you're a person, okay? Look at this one, one more. Dark valleys do not last forever. Now, at the time, if you're in one, if you're in one right now, you may, it may seem to you like you've always been in one. It has never not been dark. And it's hard to remember that they have this end to them, but they do not last. They are not a permanent location. David says, I walk through. I walk through the valley. You don't stay in the valley your entire life. You, you, it's something you go through. It's a circumstance. It's a situation that you walk. It has a season to it. Hard times only seem like they last forever, but they don't. I want to give you one more that may surprise you. Dark valleys have a purpose. Biologists recognize a principle at work among plants and animals. They call it the adversity principle. And it says that habitual well-being is not uh, advantageous to a species, any species, plant, animal, humans. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross said this, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat. They've known suffering. They've known struggle. They've known loss. And they found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, an understanding of life that fills them with compassion and gentleness and this deep, loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. So listen, if if you never have any dark times in your life, reality is you have no depth to you. You have no maturity because it takes good times and bad times to make a mature person a beautiful person. Toward the end of the New Testament, James would write in his letter, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, you will be strong in character. You will be ready for anything. And this is important. Pain can be productive. There's going to be a benefit for our problems if we will just respond to these difficult times in the right way. While we have this temporary hassle in the long term, eternal benefit, if you go through this valley and respond to it correctly. I would say most of us may agree, however, with Mother Teresa who said, I know God won't give me more than I can handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. Right? You ever felt that way? So what are we supposed to do when we go through these dark valleys? David said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they give me comfort. So you ready? Because none of this is easy, by the way. None of this is easy. But here's the first one. If I'm going to walk through changes in my family, especially the difficult ones, I'm going to refuse to be discouraged. David says it this way, even though I walk through the darkest valley, which by the way, notice he doesn't say, uh, I run as fast as I can through the darkest valley. Uh, he doesn't say, when I see this dark valley coming, I panic and go the other direction. He doesn't say anything like that. To walk means to calmly, deliberately make steps through this time in my life. David says, I will not be afraid. I, I will calmly walk through this valley. He says, I will not fear evil. I, I will fear no evil. I, I want you to focus on those two words. I will. Uh, that word will implies there's a choice that we can make about this. 
It implies uh, an act of volition, a decision that we get to make. I am choosing not to be afraid here. So I'm going to say something that may make somebody angry, and I hope you'll just hear me out on this. But if you are discouraged this morning, if you're in this dark time and you're discouraged right now, it's because you're choosing to be discouraged. And all of us understand that. Because all of us have been in dark times, and my guess is most of us, at one time or another, were discouraged. And it sounds harsh, because you're in a change that you didn't plan for, or you were planning for a change, and it didn't happen the way you thought it would. And that's not, by the way, please don't hear me making light of your problems. That's not what I'm doing. All I'm asking you to do is recognize the reality of your predicament, because discouragement is always a choice, always. You're not choosing to be discouraged. But what you're choosing to do is focus on discouraging thoughts. You're choosing to look at all the negatives. You know, have you ever noticed you can take two people and put them in the exact same situation, an identical situation, a tragedy, a crisis of one, one type or another, and one of them are totally blown away, totally destroyed by it. But the other one somehow seems to come out stronger on the other side of that thing. One of them just totally falls apart, but the other one seems to be strengthened by it. Listen, the difference is what you're focusing on. You need to focus not on your circumstances. You need to focus on Christ. What you need to focus on is not the situation, but you need to focus on our Savior. What you need to focus on is not your problem. What you need to focus on is God's power. Easy to say standing up front on a Sunday morning. Hard to do in a dark time in our life. Matter of fact, when Paul would write about this, he would say, God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you will not give up when troubles come, but you will learn to be patient in them. Human energy runs out. And after a trial of certain length of time, <laughs> quite frankly, you don't have any energy left. In the valleys of life, you need a power source bigger than you. So here's the second thing. Remember that God is with you. God is, God is with me. Listen, I, can I just say, God is not just this thing, this person, this being that we read about in a book. God is not this being that was active thousands of years ago and today is not really, he's just kind of ambivalent or unaware of what's going on in the world today. God is with us today. He is with you. He is in this room this morning. And even in our darkest days, when it seems like the light of the world is not there, he is. David says this, here's why I will fear no evil, because you're with me. I'm in this dark valley, I've got all these sheep with me, and I'm going through, but I'm telling you, I'm not going to be, I'm choosing to not be afraid, because I know who's walking with me. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen, it just means I know who is with me. When the Israelites were in a dark valley, uh, Isaiah, God would speak through Isaiah the prophet to say, don't, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God not only promises us power when we're walking through this valley, he promises his presence when we walk through it. You know what? God never promised, and if anyone ever told you this, I don't know where they got it. God never promised bad things wouldn't happen to us. Just because you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean bad things won't happen but it does mean you never have to go through them alone. He promises his presence. You never go through a valley in life by yourself. You never go through a dark day moment 
alone because God says to you, I am with you. Someone pointed out something I'd never noticed about before about this psalm. For the four, first four verses, uh, after the first uh, three verses, excuse me, there's this strategic change. In the first part of the psalm, and I don't know if you picked up on this or not, all of the personal pronouns are in the third person when he talks about God, right? He makes me, he leads me, he refreshes me, he guides me along the right paths. David's talking about God. But when he gets to this dark valley in his life, all of a sudden, the personal pronouns change. And he's not talking about God, but he's talking to God. I'm not going to be afraid because you are, not he is, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, that's what's bringing me comfort. It's in the valleys of life that we allow our guards to go down, realize we're not doing this in our own strength, and we come face to face with God. And all of a sudden, the ultimate becomes the intimate in our lives. When I'm going through this valley, listen, I don't want to talk about God. I want to talk to God. Look on your notes at what Paul Claudel said. Christ did not come to do away with suffering. He did not come to explain it. He came to fill it with his presence. And here's how he does this. He does it so that we will rely on his protection and guidance. Protection and guidance. The verse 4, it says this. Your rod and your staff, this is what brings me comfort. The rod and the staff were the two basic tools that a shepherd used to protect and guide the sheep. A rod was about two feet long and uh, kind of heavy, had a heavy knot at one end of it. And shepherds were very skilled at throwing this, hurling it as if it were a javelin or a spear that was going to hit something very hard. Rod, if anything attacked the sheep, that was the first thing that was going because you could throw it at a distance. And so what God is saying is when you're going through this dark valley of life, God is not sitting in heaven reading a magazine. He's not, he's not watching a TV show. He, he's not, he is there with you, protecting you. He's not unconcerned. He's not apathetic. He fights for you. While you are fighting for yourself in whatever this is, this dark time you're in, God is fighting with you. That's what the rod represents. A staff was a long stick. Maybe you've seen a picture of this. It has a curved end, right? And the shepherd used the staff to draw the sheep. He would hook the sheep and pull it close to him. He'd use the staff. If a sheep had fallen into a hole, instead of going down into the hole, he would reach in with his staff and pull the sheep back up to him. He brings them in close with his staff. He uses that staff to guide them. When you go through the valley, you're not going through it alone. As a matter of fact, Psalm 34 says this, the good man does not escape all troubles. He has them too. But the Lord helps him in each and every one. I like this. I think it's on your notes as well. Sometimes the Lord calms the storm. Sometimes he just lets the storm rage and he calms the believer in the midst of that storm. So your next step, and listen, we all have next steps in this area, but your next step, uh, if your family is going through a change, can I encourage you to pray? You're not letting God know something. It's not like you're informing him of something he doesn't know. He's already intimately aware of what's going on in your life. He needs you to talk to him. You need to talk to him because God is walking beside you. 
So talk to him about what's going on and how you feel and ask him to help you focus on his strength and his power in the midst of this difficulty. You know, the very first week of this series. And really what we're just trying to do is get you to pray with your family uh, all the time. Pray for your family. The first week, remember we were talking about no perfect family. And so pray for everyone in your immediate family. Not, I'm talking about cousins and aunts and uncles and great grandparents. I'm talking about your immediate family, whoever that is. Pray for them by name with specific great things going on and thanking God or needs that they have, help that they need, pray for your immediate family. Last week, if you are in conflict with anyone, pray for them and you. Because sometimes what God will do, (laughs) I was softening that a little bit. What God's going to do, let me just tell you what he's going to do. He's going to step in and the first heart he's going to change is whose? Could change your heart, could change my heart. It's not just about the other person in the conflict. It's about me too. So he's going to change our heart because we have asked him. Today, please, especially if you're in a dark place, but even if you're not, listen, God is with you every day. Ask him for his guidance in your life. And if you have come this morning and you've, you, uh, you, you've been wondering about Jesus and who is he and what's the deal and what's the church and, and you're, just, so you're just kind of poking at it because you just want to see, is this real? What's this all about? I don't know about this. Listen, next week I'm going to teach a class during the first hour. So it'll be at 930. It's going to be just upstairs in the conference room uh, and it's called First Step. And if you've got your uh, phone open to the, to the app, the Bible app, you'll see down at the bottom, there's a place you can just click on that and you can sign up for that class. If you've got your connection card uh, in your Bible or sitting next to you, it's on the, the bulletin, the handout you were given, you'll notice at the bottom of that, there's a place where it says, I want to go to that class. Listen, if you, if you want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to ask questions, this, this class doesn't mean you've made decisions. It just means you have questions. If you want to ask questions about following Jesus or becoming a part of a church like this. What does that mean? That's the place. And would love to have you. Just let us know that you're coming, all right? And you can put that, it's on your connection card. Just put that in the offering plate uh, at the end of the service. It's interesting to me that so many people turn to the 23rd Psalm when they're struggling. I don't know what it is about those words. It brings them hope and encouragement. Let me tell you, it brings me hope and encouragement. And it's interesting to me that Jesus uses this imagery of a shepherd as well. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So this morning, as we talk about this imagery and that God is with us, we come to our time of communion. And, and the reason, listen, it just flows, it's remi- we are being reminded, especially if there's something going on, if there's a change in your family right now that's happening, if at the time of communion <laughs> reminds us of anything, it's that God is with us right now. And it reminds us that he loves us right now. <laughs> no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter if this dark time in your life is because of a decision you made and now it's all just coming back on you. Time of communion reminds us that God loves us so much. He cares about us so much that he put on flesh, left heaven, lived among us. He stepped into our lives so that he could give himself away for us on the cross. And by the forgiveness for our sins that we could not buy for ourselves. This is 
please. This is not about something that happened 2,000 years ago, although it is about that. It's not only about that. It's about what God is doing in your life right now because he sees where you are. He'll see where you are tomorrow. He'll see where you are later this afternoon. He knows where you are, and he knows all about you, everything about you, and he loves you so much that he would step out of heaven on your behalf and give his life for yours and walk with you. When we go to him in prayer, God, thank you for what you have done on our behalf that we can point back to an event 2,000 years ago where Jesus came to earth as a child, lived a sinless life, and then died on the cross, not for his mistakes, his bad decisions, his sin. He died for ours. And so, God, we thank you for this thing that we read about in a book that happened 2,000 years ago. But we know that this moment isn't only about that. It's about right now. And that you sit with us, you, you are all around us, even at this moment. You've never left our side. And you love us so much that you have promised that you would always be with us. And so God, may this moment as we look back and remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, may we also be drawn right back into today that you are here and you walk with us in dark days any changes, days when there are no changes. God, you are there. Thank you for loving us. And we pray that this moment will honor you and remind us. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.